Thank you for joining us. This is the Fisheries Podcast, a weekly podcast that shares the stories of the amazing people and projects that make up fishery science. If you haven't already, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at FisheriesPod. If you are the generous sort, you can be like Garrett, Ben, Jerry, Janet, and John, who all support the podcast on Patreon. Through Patreon, you're able to support the show with either a recurring or one-time donation, which helps us pay for various parts of the show. If that isn't your thing, you can also purchase Fisheries Pod shirts, hoodies, and stickers on our Teespring store. Our guest today is Caitlin Cunningham. Caitlin recently volunteered to join the podcast as a host, so this episode will be an introduction to her. She is currently working towards a PhD at Carleton University with Dr. Stephen Cook and Dr. Sean Landsman. She earned her master's degree at Trent University and a bachelor's from Queen's University. I'm sure we will cover all those stops in more detail in just a bit. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to help host the podcast. I guess, what first got you interested in science communication? You know, that is a great question. And I have to admit, I'm not the best at science communication. and I'm not actually involved in anything currently. And so when this opportunity came up, I thought it would be a great way for me to start becoming more involved in science communication. Because I think that's something that is important and it's an area that's definitely lacking, although there have been strides to to make improvements, more needs to be done for sure. So just trying to do my part here. (laughs) Well, that's all good. What are you most looking forward to as the host of the show, whether that's, uh, I guess, yourself personally or kind of your goals uh, as far as the guests that you're hoping to bring on the show? I can definitely speak to goals in terms of guests. Um, Being a student of the Cook Lab, even though I've only recently joined, I've met some great people who are doing really cool research. And I think it would be great to bring on more students, not only from the Cook Lab, but just other graduate students that I've met uh, through conferences or, or during my master's, for example, just to shed some light on their research projects. I believe when I spoke with your advisor, Dr. Cook, a while ago, I, uh, I told him that we could probably do an entire podcast series just on on his lab and the students and projects that he has going on there. So uh, it's good to have someone on the inside there that has all those connections and can interview all those interesting people. There you go. Lots to come. <laughs> now let's get to know you, Caitlin, a little bit more. How did you get interested in fish in the field of fisheries? That's a great question. Um, And I can actually pinpoint it to an exact moment. I was in my undergrad at Queens and I was in my third year and I was taking this required ecology course and we had gone up to this biological station that Queens owns and it was just supposed to be a field day. um, And there was a session during the day where we did some seining for fish and I just had the greatest time. We just saned some fish, dropped them in a bucket, and we're IDing them. And the TA running that session, I went up to him at the end and I said, this was so much fun. I know you're a grad student. Uh, Could I volunteer in your lab? And he said yes and told me who I should contact. And that's sort of what led me down this path. Prior to that moment, I didn't realize that fisheries research was even an option. So you mentioned that you were doing your undergraduate at Queen's University. Is is that close to home or close to where you grew up? I guess, how did you choose Queen's University? I've known that I wanted to go to Queen's since I was in grade five. 
such a random fact, but I've always known that I wanted to go there. Um, Queens is just a great school. It's right on Lake Ontario. The campus is picturesque. They have, you know, a wide number of programs, uh, clubs, so many great things. And I grew up uh, in Toronto, so Kingston's only about three hours away. It was a good distance from from where I grew up, I think. While you were there, you were able to work uh, with Dr. Bruce Tufts on an undergraduate research project. Was this tied to you helping out in the master student lab, or was this uh, a requirement, your undergraduate thesis for uh, graduation, or was it, I guess, both? No, it was not a requirement, and you're absolutely correct that once I started volunteering in that grad student's lab, that was actually Bruce Tuff's lab. Um, and so I volunteered all throughout my third year. And then at the start of fourth year, I found out that you could do undergraduate thesis projects at Queens. And I figured, why not? I'm enjoying my experiences so far. I found fisheries science interesting. Um, and that's sort of how that opportunity came about, just because of volunteering. Before we dive into your specific project, were there uh, some other projects that were that you helped out with in your in your third year that were, uh, I guess, maybe worth mentioning or interesting to you? Well, my main role in third year as a volunteer was helping out with the um, wet lab that Bruce was running. It's he had a sort of uh, aquaculture sort of situation going on where he was raising fish for different research purposes. There were tilapia, brook trout, walleye. Um, he also had a hydroponic system also related to research. And so my main role was just to do fish feedings, water quality control, that sort of thing. I did get to help out with some graduate projects and field work, uh, stuff with bass. I got to help out with some bass tournaments as well, where we did sampling there. And then for your your fourth year, um, it came time where you did your undergraduate thesis project. And you mentioned in your the material you sent to me that it was on Lake Whitefish. I guess, did you pick the project or did the project kind of pick you? <laughs> that project was handed to me and I'm forever grateful for that. Uh, I love that project. Initially, it was supposed to be part of a master's student's thesis. Um, but there wasn't enough data. And so my supervisor turned it around to be an undergraduate thesis project. And essentially that work with Whitefish was supposed to be a preliminary study where we were figuring out where Whitefish were moving in the Bay of Quinte in Eastern Lake Ontario, because I believe his goal was to have this as a long-term project, but we needed to do some sort of initial testing on these whitefish, figuring out where they were going. And how exactly were you figuring out where they were moving to? Yeah, so we used acoustic telemetry for that research project. So essentially, um, we had a bunch of receivers that essentially look like wine bottles, and we put them under the water. And these receivers are listening for sound that are emitted by tags. And the tags were surgically implanted in the whitefish. And essentially, whenever these whitefish are swimming around uh, the Bay of Quinte or Eastern Lake Ontario, 
where we have these receivers set out, if they swim within a certain distance of that receiver, the sound will be picked up and we're able to see where the fish is at any point in the year. So I guess, was your project successful in being kind of the, the jump start to a longer term one? Did it get picked up by uh, the funders and become something larger? Yeah, it was definitely successful. We were able to see some of the general seasonal movements of these whitefish um, and start to understand a little bit what some of the driving factors of whitefish movements in that region were. Uh, the project was continued on by a master's student that uh, continued with that work after I after I left Queens. So I'd say successful. The next stop on your journey took you to Trent University to again work with Lake Whitefish. Uh, is it safe to say that you enjoyed working with Lake Whitefish as a species? It really is, yes. And was this project at all tied to any connections that you might have made in your previous work, or was it just a completely different group of people working on Lake Whitefish? A completely different group of people, yeah. Just tied to your fascination with the fish, I guess. Exactly. I just, I find them so cute. I think that's an odd thing to say, but I think it's their stubby nose that gets me. Well, this go around, the project was more focused on larval fish. Uh, was it, was it like working with the same fish or a completely different animal? Well, because they are in the, because I was looking at the larval life stage, of course, they're only, you know, 12 to 20 millimeters long at best, whereas at Queens, we were tagging full-grown adult whitefish. Um, I should also mention that during my master's, soon after I started my master's, that's when COVID hit. So I wasn't able to do any field work for my master's, but I'm sure we'll talk about that more in a second. Yeah, I guess that that uh, that makes more sense uh, with with this next question. The project involved comparing larval density estimates and growth rates between some historical and modern data. Um, I guess um, this ties into what you just mentioned. What is the significance of the the nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty six data that you used, and um, was that just what was available, or was there some drastic change between that and the modern data set that you used? Uh, I guess must have been collected just prior to your master starting the COVID shutdown. Right. So uh, the main overarching goal of my master's work was primarily to figure out whether declines in lake whitefish recruitment are occurring and at what life stage these declines are happening. So larval lake whitefish abundance has been steadily declining over the past 20 years or so throughout most of the Great Lakes, uh, in particular in Lake Huron, which is where uh, I focused on for my master's research. And in addition to those declines in adult abundance, we've also been seeing declines in juvenile recruitment. And so what I was trying to figure out is, are those declines in juvenile recruitment because of low larval lake whitefish numbers? And so we had this historical data set of larval lake whitefish densities and lengths that was collected from the central 
basin of Lake Huron prior to the invasion of Dreisen mussels. So that's that time period that we have from 1976 to 1986. And my uh, supervisor, Dr. Erin Dunlop, she and her research team had been collecting larval lake whitefish density data from that same area since 2017. And of course, that's after dry sit mussels had invaded the Great Lakes. So it really gave us a unique perspective because we were able to compare densities and growth rates between those two time periods before and after dry sit mussel invasion. Were you able to figure anything out? Um, were lake whitefish impacted by the, the invasion of zebra mussels and are quagga mussels also in Lake Huron? What we were able to show with uh, my research project is that larval densities have drastically declined since the invasion of dry sand mussels. We were also able to show that growth rates are much slower now than they were historically. Um, and another component of my thesis research focused a little bit on the why. So why are these declines in larval lake whitefish recruitment happening? And so I looked at some different uh, environmental variables that could be uh, influencing larval densities. And those uh, were things such as spawning stock biomass, ice cover, water levels, and dry sit muscle presence. And so we found that uh, water levels, spawning stock biomass, and the presence of dry sand mussels were the main drivers that seemed to affect larval densities in our research project. But there's definitely a lot more research that can be done from what we've what we've been able to uncover. I guess I, now I see in the the materials that you provided that um, yeah the. The modern data that you used was collected from 2017 to 2019, but then there is a 2021 break in there. So uh, after the initial COVID craziness, were you able to get out in the field and actually do some collecting of your own data? So unfortunately, that 2021 year, I was not able to join. Um, the team that collects all of the larval whitefish data, they're up in Owen Sound. And they're with the MNR, so the provincial government. Um, and they had their own research team. And for COVID reasons, they wanted to limit the number of people that were out sampling. So unfortunately, no field work. <laughs> that is a bummer. Did you get to do any field work during your master's experience? Though? <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, after I finished my master's, I stayed in Peterborough for a little while longer and worked for the MNR with my supervisor's research team. And we actually got to go up to uh, Blind River, which is in the North Channel, the northern part of Lake Huron, and do some larval whitefish sampling there. So after I'd finished my degree, then I got to <laughs> do some larval sampling. As we mentioned in the beginning, you recently began working towards your PhD with Dr. Stephen Cook and Dr. Sean Landsman at Carleton University. Is your study organism for this leg of your journey also Lake Whitefish, or have you moved on to uh, something else? I'm switching it up. I'm going from small larval Lake Whitefish, focusing on muskie and lake sturgeon now. So I've gone from extremely small to the biggest freshwater fish we have. 
And Muskie and Lake Sturgeon are, are both cool enough on their own. And, and you probably just made a lot of people jealous that you get to work with both of them for your project. I guess, what sort of information are you hoping to learn about the two species? This project is really a huge group effort. Um, yes, we have people at Carleton. So myself, there's another student working on the project as well. Her name is Erin Wilson. She's doing her master's. Um, we also have um, Muskies Canada. They're a, a group that is heavily involved with uh, muskie research and muskie conservation. They are a collaborator on this project as well, as well as the Canadian Wildlife Federation. And so the main goal with this research project is to figure out where muskie and lake sturgeon are moving throughout a freshwater river in Ontario. So our study area is in Algonquin Park, and we're looking at the Petawawa River, which spans from Lake Traverse down to Black Bay. And the Petawawa flows into the Ottawa River. And essentially, uh, just over a decade ago or so, there was a damming company that wanted to put a dam in the Petawawa. Um, but due to public outcry, this company pulled out. But there were a lot of concerns raised about, we know muskie are in this these waters as well as sturgeon, but we don't know anything about these two species that are in this, this river. And so that's sort of the driving force is one, figure out, you know, where these fish are going, what they're doing. Um, so we can use that, I guess you could say as, supporting evidence if another power company were to come back with a proposal to dam up the Petawawa. So we could say, you know, you can't do this because muskie and sturgeon utilize this habitat. It's critical for them. I'm familiar enough with some of Dr. Cook's projects. And I also know uh, that Sean is a big muskie angler. Is uh, I'm assuming that angling is one of the methods of capture for at least the muskie. Are you also angling for the lake sturgeon as well? No, for the for the sturgeon, we're going to be using gill nets. But for the muskie, you're right, angling. Yeah. And we have our first field season coming up this year, starting in mid-May. Um, so really looking forward to that. Have you done much muskie fishing yourself? So that's probably the first question I get when I tell anyone about this project. And surprisingly, no, I haven't done much fishing of any kind at all, ever. Um, but last year, late last year, actually, I went out with a fishing guide in Ottawa and just to try to get a feel for muskie fishing, because I know it's very different compared to if you're fishing for other sorts of, of species. And I caught a muskie on my second cast. And that is something I'm very proud of. So, Yeah, I'm sure there's a, just like there's a bunch of people jealous that you get to work with muskie, I'm sure there's a bunch of people jealous that you caught one on your second cast as well. <laughs> For your PhD, you're kind of coming full circle back around to your, your undergraduate work and, and doing a little bit more uh, movement stuff. Are you, uh, do you think it's going to be like riding a bicycle knocking the rust off and learning how to do all the acoustic telemetry stuff all over again? 
That's certainly what I'm hoping. Yeah. So we're using uh, acoustic telemetry, as you mentioned, to look at the movement of these musky and sturgeon. Another component to the project is trying to figure out uh, the population structure. So utilizing genetics. One of our research questions that deals with the genetics is, um, as I mentioned, the Petawawa spans from Lake Traverse down to Black Bay. And in between those two endpoints, I guess, there are several rapids that sort of act as a natural barrier to gene flow, I guess you could say. Um, and so we're interested in looking at if Lake Traverse, the most upstream lake in that system, is acting as a source population. So whether, you know, all those muskie from Lake Travers are just moving downstream and they never go back upstream again, uh, either because of those barriers or potentially for some other reason. So the genetic component is something new, I guess, or at least you haven't mentioned in any of your stops so far. Is that uh, something that was a little intimidating to uh, dip your toes into is doing the genetic component or... Um, I guess I've never done any genetic work myself. Is it just a matter of clipping some fins and kind of handing it off to another lab to do most of the hard work? Or um, are you doing all the all the laboratory part of it yourself? I'd say that the genetics work definitely is intimidating to me, but exciting because I as well have never done any genetics work. So it's it's a new exciting challenge. That's how I'm looking at it. For the genetics work, we're just collecting scale samples, and um, we are handing the scale samples off to someone who will do all of the genotyping for us. I definitely want to be involved in that process, though, because I think it's important for me to understand what's being done to extract that information. I was uh, filling some time uh, this morning, I guess procrastinating on doing some office work and scrolling through Twitter. And I saw your advisor, Dr. Sean Landsman, uh, had tweeted a picture of a cake that said, happy suture night, uh, preparing for your field season. Um, I guess, what is happy suture night? <laughs> so last night, Sean was kind enough to have myself and Aaron, the other graduate student on this research project, over to his house. And we went through suturing because we're going to be implanting these musky and sturgeon with acoustic tags. And so we want to be confident in our suturing abilities. We want to make sure that when it's time, when a muskie's pulled, that we want to tag. There's no hesitation with making that incision, inserting the tag, and suturing them up. So, Did you eat the cake and practice on bananas or did you practice your suturing on the cake somehow? We practiced on bananas, and that cake you saw was a cookie cake that Aaron made. Oh, yeah. Well, Caitlin, best of luck to you and your in your field season upcoming, and uh, hopefully you're you're able to catch some some uh, musky maybe on the first cast one of these times and beat your two cast uh, record. Uh, but we have reached the portion of the interview that we call the final five questions. And this is a group of five questions that we ask each of the guests on the show that you will soon turn around and ask your guests uh, when you bring them on. And we always start real simple with what is your favorite fish? That's a tough question because I'm tempted to say whitefish, 
because of my long-standing history with them, as you've heard. But I think after this summer, and I mean already even, Muskie might be it now. Already, huh? And what is your favorite memory from your career so far? A great question. I'm going to say last year when I helped out with that larval whitefish sampling up in the North Channel in Lake Huron, we had a few days where we didn't catch any whitefish, essentially. Every time we'd open up the net, there wouldn't be many in there. And then there was one day, the weather was perfect, everything was great, and I opened up the net, and there was probably like 12 larval whitefish in there. I just got so excited, and I think that was a definite highlight. But again, after this coming field season, I think I'm going to have a lot of highlights from this summer. I mean, sampling lake sturgeon is cool, but but <laughs> angling for muskie on top of sampling for lake sturgeon, uh, it doesn't get much better than that. Right. Uh, it sounds like you're going to be having fun, at least for, for the next few field seasons. Um, but as you uh, move through your PhD and begin to uh, look towards the next stop in your journey uh what is your dream job or dream location that you're hoping to end up in Ooh. i'd say it's tough to say particular dream job at the moment because i've just started so i'd be open to working for the mnr provincially or federally with dfo um, i could also see myself being interested in doing a postdoc or working for a nonprofit. There are so many different avenues, so I can't pick one particular at the moment. And are you hoping to end up in the Toronto area or uh, anywhere in kind of Southern Canada? After I lived in Peterborough, I thought that was where I would want to be forever. But now that I'm in Ottawa, I'm really liking Ottawa. So I'm going to say Ottawa or Peterborough, hopefully. And if money was not an issue, what is one project that you would like to work on? Oh, I would love to do research with um, spawning and specifically oviduct transmitters. So inserting uh, transmitters into the oviduct of fish and when they spawn, that transmitter is released so you can see exactly where those fish have spawned. I just think that's such a cool method. What fish? Not too sure but I picked a cool method. So that's. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cool enough to me. I'd be interesting on any fish that you put it in. Exactly. And finally, if there is one point or one principle that you could have programmed into everyone's head, what would it be? I would say freshwater ecosystems are important. Well, Caitlin, thank you for coming on the podcast today. It was a pleasure hearing about you and all your experiences and stops so far. Um, and hopefully you ha- continue to have lots of fun as you start your field work. I'd, uh, I'm assuming you're going to make lots and lots of people jealous when they hear about your field work uh, that you're going to be taking part in this summer. Uh, if people want to find out more information or get a hold of you or potentially be one of your guests on the podcast, what would be the best way to reach you? On Instagram. So... My Instagram is Cunningham underscore Katie. I'm going to be posting a lot of updates throughout the summer, um, my field work. And yeah, definitely shoot me a message if you're interested in being on the podcast.
And if you would like to get a hold of me or any of the other hosts on the podcast, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at fisheriespod or old-fashioned email feedback at thefisheriespodcast.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can download past, present, and future episodes on your favorite listening app or stream it from Spotify or thefisheriespodcast.com. And don't forget, you can help support the podcast with a monthly contribution through Patreon or by rocking some awesome Fisheries Podcast logo shirts and hoodies available on Teespring. I am Nick Kramer, and thank you for listening to the Fisheries Podcast. And remember, freshwater ecosystems are important 